and welcome to the Men Up Podcast. I am Christian Shabu. Will Van Dyke. Lamar Womble in the house. What up, y'all? And thank you for joining us this and every week as we dig into culture, current events, and our own events. And as we redefine manhood and masculinity so that all of us, however you identify, can thrive. We are so grateful for you joining us this entire season three and maybe even before season three. And we are committed to building this community further. So please continue to support us by giving us those five-star reviews, of course, if we've earned it, giving us your honest feedback, and of course, recommending to friends and family members to listen to season three and to join us for season four as it comes up, because we will, in fact, be coming back. All right, y'all. So the end of the season is always a special time for us, and it's become a tradition here at the Men Up podcast for us to close out each season with something we like to call the starting five. The starting five is five questions that allow us to get clear on the lessons that we learned from the last year, so from 2021, so that we can take those lessons with us into 2022 and continue the level up. So we're going to be asking each other those questions here today, but we really encourage you all to take a moment as you're listening, maybe afterwards, maybe when you're in celebration with family and friends over the next few weeks, and ask these questions of yourselves and of each other so that all of us can level up. All right, so Will, I'm going to kick it over to you. What is our first question for the starting five this year? Yeah, so question number one, uh, what cultural moment will define 2021 for you and why? I think mine uh, is subtle, but it is, uh, I think, maybe culturally and societally overlooked in so many ways. But when my kids went back to school, that was a when in person, when they went back to school in person, um, the mental lift that that created for our household um, and the cultural relevance of having the school be, you know, uh, essentially uh, the the t- the cornerstone of childcare and the 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 way in which that elevated, I think both my at least my household's way of life is hugely, hugely important. We, we, we grinded for those, you know, 12 months that the kids were home schooling and and doing those sort of things. But when they went back in person at the sort of tail end of spring for a couple months before we went to summer was a huge, significant step and uh, credit to all of the caregivers and really it, it to us certainly highlights how much we need to invest outside of the school system too on caregiving and how much we need to uh, focus on keeping uh, people who provide services to families with young children at the top of our minds when it comes to you know essential workers and those sort of things it's it it keeps it keeps everything humming when that is when when that infrastructure is strong so i look back at that moment as as really a a sort of mental lift uh and and just hugely hugely impactful for myself and for our family it's interesting right because i think of course being somebody who is working in schools directly and and feeling that coming back into person in in some capacity over the last year has been was certainly a powerful experience, but but honestly, I, I'd kind of overlooked it a little bit in thinking about 
a cultural event this year. And, and to your point, like a subtle one, perhaps something we take for granted, right? Like kids going to school, something we take for granted, yet it has a profound impact on our day in and day out. For me, you know, I still have indelible images in my mind of January 6th, 2021 of the insurrection of, you know, the hours before that, uh, so much hope that was offered, particularly for the state of Georgia with the election of Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff seemed like a really hopeful moment, particularly as somebody who was involved in campaigning um, in other states leading into 2021, and then supporting a little bit there as well in those runoff elections. And then hours later, right, January 6th, some of like the uh, most jarring images, I think I, I've seen in my lifetime of in, in our in our society, right? And I think one of the things that I'm, I'm left thinking about there beyond just thinking about how fragile our democracy, our, our social structures are, um, which certainly we've seen over the last four years, but, it, but that moment is gonna be really emblematic, I think for me, years from now. Uh, it also taught me a little bit of a lesson, right? Which was the days afterwards, you know, I, I'd grown accustomed to thinking about some of the people that uh, Will and I grew up with. We grew up in New Hampshire, which is known as being now kind of like a purplish state, uh, but can be very conservative in its viewpoints. Um, and I've made a lot of assumptions about some of the people that we've grown up with, right, uh, or did grow up with about their politics, the way they live their lives and things like that. And I often assume like going on Facebook, I would see nonsense or, or support for things that happened on January 6th from a lot of those folks. And, um, you know, I can't speak to every single person, you know, I grew up with, we grew up with, uh, but the days afterwards, you know, there were several folks that I had assumed wrongly would, would be folks that would support such actions. Right. Uh, and yet went on Facebook and saw those people in my feed and, and saw quite the contrary. And, and as you know, I went back through their profiles and, and looked at, you know, some of the things they said politically actually it was very different from what I thought they might be. Right. And, and it taught me a lesson of the, like in these times where it can be really easy to slip into us versus them mentality to make assumptions about people based on where they've grown up, what you know about their past. Like, it's just, it's not helpful, right? Because one, you can be often wrong. In this case, I was wrong, but two, it stops the conversation, right? And, and so there's a really powerful lesson, I think, for me in the midst of some of the worst sort of images I've, I've seen in, in recent memory about uh, the depths to which our, our society and people in it can go to. Yeah, no, that, listen, man, that is, that is real. That is real. And I, I think to your point, you know, Shabu, thinking about that, like, <clears throat> you know, I've, one of the things that I've come to is that like, yeah, there, there's always space and room for conversation. Um, but also there's like, there's not. And if you have made a decision that like, look, like there's just certain people because of their views and like what this does to my mental health, like I just can't associate with like you also have the space to be able to do that as well. You know, sometimes it's better for us. It's like, let, let bygones be bygones and, and, and keep it pushing. And that, that doesn't always sound like very um, hopeful or very, uh, you know, country, country supporting, but like people are, are so far gone at this moment that like, it's hard, it's hard to like justify always trying to have the conversation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so anyway, Shout out to you for discovering that. And I think there is um, common ground to be found amongst many people, a lot of us, right? I'm going to piggyback off of uh, January 6th and kind of talk about um, once the uh, Joe Biden was actually sworn in as president. I think for me, 
that was like the end of four years of uh, turmoil and trauma. To, and, and I don't want to dramatize the word trauma in this in this situation, but it really was like traumatic in a way to wake up every single day that Trump was a president and like be like, well, what what is he going to do now? Right. And this was like he, he wanted to be on TV every day. He wanted to be in your face every day. He wanted to, you to have his attention every day. Once Joe Biden got elected, I was like, oh, I'm, I don't know what kind of job he's going to do. But like what I do know is that I don't have to think about him. And being able to get up after the inauguration and just not have to think about what the president's doing, not because. I shouldn't think about what the president is doing, but because this president doesn't want to be in your face every moment of every minute of every freaking day. You know what I mean? Um, and he's just going to like do his job. I just checked out of like anything cultural, anything political, anything that was controversial. I was just like, I'm done. And I'm just focusing on myself and my family for, for the rest of this year and probably the, it, going into 2022 as well. Because uh, I was somebody that got pulled into lots of like bullshit political conversations over the last four years. Like I got pulled into it and I was like, why? Like it wears you out, dude. It wears you the fuck out uh, when you're just having these conversations on Facebook, arguing with people all day long. Like it's just not productive or helpful. So question number two, y'all, for the starting five is this. What personal moment will define 2021 for you and why. So we have my daughter's first birthday party in New Orleans uh, this year. And it was, I think the January 29th, something like that. And uh, we had her first birthday in, in New Orleans. Her, her name is Nola for the audience. Her name is Nola, N-O-L-A. So uh, in so many ways, we named her after New Orleans. And I decided that, um, for her first birthday and her 21st birthday. And we may do one in the middle there. Uh, we'll be in New Orleans as like a representation of like why we named her that, but like also it's my favorite city. Um, and we invited a bunch of friends and family down to New Orleans for her first birthday. And um, we had like almost 30 friends and family come down to New Orleans for, for her first birthday party. And, uh, you know, I, I was really just like blown away by the, number of people that decided that you your partner and your child are important enough for us to buy a plane ticket pay for housing pay for a hotel rent a car spend thousands of dollars to get to new orleans to be a part of this birthday party um and it just really blew me away uh that people were willing to do that for us. Um, so I, I was just feeling the love of my community, uh, one. Um, and then while we were there, um, everyone got along just like perfectly. And so it reiterated to me that like, not only do I, have I developed and, you know, cultivated this, this community, um, but also inside of this community that like people see eye to eye. And even if they're different, they're willing to like be come above their differences to like show love, care, and concern for my family. And so it was just a moment that reminded me of my community and community is like number one on my values list. Um, and that kind of set the tone for the rest of the year of like how 
Zena and I work together to build this community and have these people around us that love and care about us and our daughter. And um, it was just really impactful to me. I actually didn't know that, Lamar, about your daughter being named after New Orleans. Like, it, that's maybe a, a future men up uh, meetup spot, too, because it is my favorite city. Like, it, it, it is... Uh, Say less. I had some very, very, very fun <laughs> times in, in New Orleans. But uh, yeah, it's a good time down there. And I think it actually inspired me to alter my uh, response to this question slightly where uh, a lot of it was wrapped around family. Um, some of it was more on the, um, you know, struggle side, I guess, or tragic side, if you will. But, um, you know, uh, my uh, so the, the two sort of harder moments was one when uh we were on vacation and my daughter fell out of her bunk bed and and we were in this myrtle beach emergency room with a face that's all beat up because she hit a, a ladder on her way down and she broke her arm and it was it was this sort of like traumatic moment but there was there was it, it will be seared into my brain uh for the whole time because while sitting at 2.30 in the morning in the Myrtle Beach emergency room, um, they were blasting Shark Week on Discovery Channel, and it was Jaws 2, and I'm not sure if anybody, spoil alert if you haven't seen Jaws 2, the, the shark bites an underground electrical wire and like explodes, and that was the scene that was on this, and my daughter sitting there, broken arm, face all smashed up, just like locked in. I'm going to tell the story forever being here in three in the morning. And, and I hope she turns into a marine biologist. Like that's the only <laughs> thing, right? The last one was this Thanksgiving. Um, two Thanksgivings ago, pre-pandemic was one of the hardest Thanksgivings we've had. We all get together. There's about 30, 35 of us on my mom's side. And it was when my mom was really, really sick. We actually ended up uh, going straight to the hospital and spending um, almost two weeks in the hospital with her um, uh, while she was dealing with uh, her cancer treatment. Um, but, uh, and, and, and then my other, uh, my uncle was, um, uh, uh, he, he was, he was suffering from Alzheimer's and he ended up passing in February. And little did we know that my, my other, my other aunt actually ended up having a heart attack that's that next summer. So that was her last Thanksgiving. So like it was, it was sort of this sort of bittersweet moment. And this year we, we really hunkered down. We got everybody, you know, who could be vaccinated and, and we're able to spend time together and, and again, spend uh, a, a time at the, at the same place that, that happened two years ago and have this sort of beautiful moment of, of gathering family together and, and, and being there and, and, and all together. And it was, you know, again, sort of a bittersweet moment. We raised a glass to, you know, a family members who had passed and, 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 and who couldn't be with us and, at that time. And um, I think sort of these bittersweet moments. And this question, right. I, we, all of us have been in conversation with each other because of this podcast and these seasons regularly over this year. And yet there are so many stories that we haven't shared with one another, right? Like to your point, well, like, sharing Lamar sharing about like the origin of Nola's name the the love for that city and like celebrating first birthday the stories you just shared will like I hadn't really heard the depths of those or heard any of those stories right so it's always powerful I think to take a moment and reflect on like yeah what are the moments that are going to 
matter and mean the most to us from from our lives. Um, I had a challenge with this question because it feels like it has been six months of of one moment, which is like ultimately just going uh, all in on on a relationship on on my on my hey, relationship with my partner, right? Like that's fucking go. <laughs> and that uh, you know, it, it started back in May, right, when we went on vacation together, right, and we'd been serious as a couple, but, you know, in my mind, you know, we were, we were boyfriend and girlfriend in that moment. And we went on vacation together and came back. Like I came back very clear that like, Oh, this is, this is my life partner. Uh, and, and that's a really powerful moment. Like I, I can remember a moment, like final day we were there, we were in Hawaii and, you know, just walking along the beach, incredibly picturesque and talking about the future together and having that feel incredibly like grounded and real. And I could see it. Right. And I think in, in past relationships, uh, have done that kind of thing, but have never like been able to see it or have it actually feel grounded. It feels sort of fantasy. Uh, and this didn't, right? And now uh, several months later, my partner and I have moved in together uh, in a beautiful apartment in New York City. Shout out to Lamar for helping uh, to do some moving of things. That's when you know you have some great friends when they are willing to do whatever it is you need of them when it comes to moving boxes and furniture and at a moment's notice. Uh, but yeah, they we're we've moved in together. We are continuing to take incredible steps together. And it is the start of a new chapter for me. And, and one that I'll remember forever. I'll remember these last six months for the rest of my life. We are getting into question three here. What did you appreciate most about season three of the men up podcast and why? So I continue to appreciate Lamar, you will you and, and what you've brought to, to this season, particularly, you know, we have leveled up in a lot of ways. And, and I think both of you have taken on additional responsibility, uh, have become more invested. And, and that means a lot to me because Men Up is something that I started uh, with George Black, who we've mentioned several times, who was a guest uh, this season. We started this six years ago. And to have folks that continue to support and get invested in this work and to just do the work themselves, to, to be a better person, better man is profound and powerful. And what I've really appreciated about the season is we invited a lot of new people into our community, a lot of new guests, right? And all of those folks showed up with incredible vulnerability because uh, having conversations about identity, about manhood, about masculinity, these are not easy conversations to have, no matter how well you prep people, no matter how well we prep ourselves. And to enter into these conversations in such a vulnerable way, in such a powerful way, ultimately with the hope I think all of us have of like bettering ourselves, bettering the community around us, it's just really profound to see. And, and I am incredibly grateful for that. I'm incredibly grateful that this team has continued to get better at like interviewing people. And we had some really powerful interviews throughout the season, which if you're listening right now and you haven't listened to those episodes, please go back and check them out. But really powerful work that, that has happened here. So I'm really grateful for that. To your point, a little bit around, around the interviews, I think one thing that I'm just like really proud of, and I just didn't foresee it, I didn't see what the future was going to hold around having interviews and having guests and stuff. Uh, but I know when we were initially talking about having guests, like I, in my own mind was trying to have this conversation behind or around how do we have really impactful and, and well-known even borderline celebrity guests to like help us get more traction, more awareness, more people watching the show, listening to the show. Um, and not taking advantage of um, 
who these people were, right? And so there was like, I know a lot of powerful black women that are also like really influential um, that I wanted to have as guests. And, and part, of, part of that was like, hey, if we can have these high level guests on, then there's also an opportunity for us to kind of like get into spaces that we um, haven't been yet, right? And I think what I'm really most proud of is that like, I brought that to, to the team. The team was kind of like, yeah, we don't really know if we want to be operating in a space of like having, especially around masculinity in the conversation that we had this year, if we want to have black women being responsible for teaching men how to uh, operate and, you know, within that conversation. And so we kind of like peeled it back and decided that we weren't going to do that. Um, and then we really, as I look back at all the guests that we had, we had like a lot of men. We had a, like a lot of really unique, interesting men on and a lot of black men on, which was also really cool as well. Um, and so I just thought kind of like that process of working through what we wanted it to be um, and then have it resulting in some really, really great conversations with great men and people uh, is just it's a tribute to our process. Um, it's a tribute to like us recognizing um, how we want to show up and what we want to deliver to the audience. Um, and and yeah, I'm really proud of us for working through that on the front end, knowing that like, you know what, we actually just have a lot to learn about interviewing people in general, that we may not want to go Hollywood so fast, because there's a lot that we may miss in the process of trying to figure that out. So um yeah, I, I'm really proud of us for that and for Christian kind of like double checking me and some of my how do we get bigger, faster thought. It was uh, refreshing uh, to to not that I well, I, I joke often that I love to hear the sound of my own voice, but it was refreshing to hear other voices. Um, and I think you, you know, collectively have done an, an awesome job at at. I think both getting relevant, impactful conversations out of all the guests that you've brought and, and it really folded into the direction of the podcast just so seamlessly that it, it, the execution was, was fantastic. So I think that that was, I mean, I'm incredibly appreciative that that level of variety can continue. All right, let's uh, let's tackle question four. Uh, what is one idea related to manhood slash masculinity that has evolved for you in season three and what inspired that evolution? I think a lot of uh, evolution has happened, you know, in having these conversations personally for me. And one of the things that I think uh, I, I discovered, I guess, and, and also recognized uh, that I need to improve on is uh, something called cognitive labor. You, we haven't talked about that term in the past, but there's a lot of cognitive labor transfer between a, in a relationship, right? There's just things that happen where somebody is thinking about that thing or getting that thing done or how to accomplish something, getting the kids to school, doing the grocery shopping, planning meals, taking out the garbage, and where that division of labor within a relationship exists and how I can, as a, you know, uh, as a partner, uh, do more of the pre-work, the, the, the sort of underlying work 
I'm great at somebody saying, here's the list, go do the list. But the creation of the list is, is where the cognitive labor happens. And that is, that's a challenge for me still. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a great worker bee. I, I'm a good number two, but that, and that spark of the idea where that list comes from, how that, how those things get accomplished um, is, is continues to be a challenge for me. I think that is a, uh, a trait that is stereotypical of men is that we don't pick up the cognitive labor side as much or even know it exists. Like, I, I think that term is probably pretty lost on a lot of men uh, and, and that sort of thing. So develop, you know, d- d- discovering that, identifying it, you know, figuring out how to solve for it is, is not only impactful in 2021 and, and particularly through the season three, but then also, uh, you know, leads into growth and development for, for the next year. The idea that like, oh yeah, of course it, it, it takes energy to put the list together, right. That we're both going to tackle or take things on together. Right. That's something that's familiar to me. I think it was familiar to all of us. Like we, we nodded our heads as you were talking about, but the idea of, of naming it like cognitive labor, like that is for the, this is the first time I've ever heard that as a term. Right. But I think what you're identifying was really powerful is like when you can name these things, right. Cause now like I'm going to have that in my head the rest, the rest of this year, the rest of 2022, right? Like, oh yeah, like that thing is cognitive labor. Like I should probably be a little bit better there, right? Especially and in I a think, new relationship. It's good. This, this is like really good for you. Right. I should be paying Will right now. He's giving me relationship <laughs> advice without even knowing it. Uh, but, but I think what, what's, what it's reminding me of here and where, where I feel like I've grown a lot is, is being able to name, uh, problematic ideas, beliefs, or things that I've had in the past, right? I think it's, it's really important to be able to do that, right? And not to say that I am the same person, I'm the same man now as I was when I was 15 or 16, but it is important to go back, I think, and understand like, well, what were the ideas that I had? What were the beliefs I had around manhood and masculinity that were problematic? And why were they problematic? And, and this came up uh, in one of our more recent episodes, interview with uh, Chet Kincaid. Uh, you should check that episode out. Uh, incredible guest. Shout out to you, Lamar, for bringing Chet on. But as we were doing prep for that episode, I, I had to take a step back and realize that one of the things I never did uh, in, in my young teenage years was expressed the love and appreciation I had for guys like Will or other guys that had a profound impact on my life day in and day out. And I had to think about like, well, why, why was that? Why didn't I express that kind of love or appreciation? Right. It was ultimately like ideas that were intertwined with my ideas of manhood and masculinity that were also homophobic. Right. Like, and it's hard to like, take a moment and say like, oh, I at one point in time had homophobic ideas that I subscribed to, even if it was like a little bit more like passive or subconscious, like I still subscribe to those ideas. Right. And I think it's really, it was really important for me to be able to identify that. Uh, but I think it's important for all of us to be able to identify one, the fact that like ideas around sexuality, around masculinity, around identity, race, gender, however, whatever piece of identity you want to identify, how that they all sort of get intertwined and interwoven. And there are elements that can be problematic and we need to be able to call those out from our past, maybe even in our present so that we can move forward powerfully. And so that was a, that was a thing that happened for me this season that was really powerful. The ability to be able to call myself out or invite myself in, um, from ideas that I've had in the past that didn't serve me well and certainly weren't serving other people well. This year has been really interesting for me. Um, So one, I've been getting a lot of videos on my Facebook coming up 
um, that that there's a a very traditional man that exists out there that believes that they have three jobs to provide, protect, and have high character. And anything else, they're not responsible for. So the cognitive work, Will, that you were talking about, like, it's not a man's job. It's not your job to come up with a list. It's not even your job to complete the list as long as you're providing, as long as you're protecting. And uh, obviously, I fundamentally, I think we all three of us probably don't agree with that, that idea of like how man, how men show up in relationships. So I've just been like really learning a lot about like, wow, there's a whole other side of the coin that believes something completely different than I do and coming to just like be okay with that. Um, but also coming to realize for myself that like I am in every way the opposite of that. I'm able to have the freedom and flexibility to like make the money I make, but I also like take care of my kid five days a week while she's at work. And so like, there's just like this weird um, life that, not weird, but like just this very different life that I'm living compared to like most men who feel the responsibility of like providing, protecting, but also all the other things that come along with that. Like, like, well, like I live inside of, what do you call it? Cognitive labor. Like I live inside of that because I, I have to like, not only like for my, my, my job, but I have to live inside of that because, well, I, I mean, I'm working like maybe two hours a day. And then other than that, like, I'm trying to figure out, like, I need to go grocery shopping. I need to take Nola here. I need to go to like the, the, the doctor's appointment. And like, there's definitely things that like Xena helps me out and reminds me of and this and that. But like, for the most part, like I am the person that is like doing some of this like cognitive labor. And I'm uh, the person that like has to figure out how to put my work into, the, into my, my taking care of my kid, right? Trying to figure out that. And so I think the biggest thing for me is that like, I think you should say a long time ago that like I wanted to be a stay-at-home dad, like say less, like I would do that immediately. Um, I love being a stay-at-home dad. Like I love that shit. And um, I'm proud of it. And I want everyone to be able to experience it, especially because I still get to work um, and still have purpose and passion for the work that I do. But I've built in the opportunity to have the flexibility to, to give more of my energy to my child and raise her um, while still getting my, my work done. My relationship is so interesting because like you, you said you painted your accent wall in your, in your, in your room uh, and like, you're like really happy and like proud to like, like be able to take care of these things for your lady. And like, like Zena, that's Zena's job in our relationship. Like, I don't do any of the traditional man things. Like Zena puts stuff together. Zena does the painting. Zena does like all the stuff that men typically do in the relationships. Cause like, that's her jam. Like that's what she likes and enjoys. And my dad didn't do, well, my dad did those things but he didn't really teach me how to do those things because it wasn't his jam. Like he did it out of like obligation not because like he enjoyed painting and being the man around the house you know what I mean or like working on the car like I didn't do any of that shit growing up my dad was like into business um and runs di ran different businesses so like that is kind of what I adopted from him what I'm hearing there from from you and your partner the idea of like identifying like listen like here are the here are the strengths that each one of us brings um here are the limitations each one of us brings and how do we make that all work right yeah. like without having to subscribe to whatever the the norms are the expectations are around 
masculinity, femininity, what that means for how we're, what task we're supposed to take on. Right. I think that's what I'm hearing. Right. And I, I think similarly for myself, like same sort of thing. It's like, there, there are some things that I would take on like painting, doing like handy person work around the house. Like I love doing that stuff. Right. Okay. And that might be identified as like traditionally masculine or what men are supposed to do. But then there are other things like I love to cook too. Right. Does, yeah. Like, is that a, is that a feminine thing? Like, I don't sure. think so. Right. Like that, that's a, we need food, right? Like we need to cook for one another, right? Like that, that's a, so, so to the point, right. It's like creating the space to identify with your partner in any relationship. Like what are the things each one of us are bringing and how do we like ultimately build together? Well, and, and to the, to that point, like, that's why I'm like, I'm so mesmerized by, by these videos that come on my Facebook feed. Cause I'm just like, I just don't know anybody like that. Like maybe I do, but like, no, nobody I know is in relationships where like, your job as a woman is to cook, clean, and take care of the kids. Like there, there may be some that I don't, and I just don't know the in and outs of their relationships, but like most of the people I know, both parents are working, both are professional, both bring money and no, it's no responsibility of one or the other to just take care of everything. Like, I just, I don't even know what world that exists in. And so when I see it and I hear all these men subscribing to it, I'm just like, wow, like that's crazy. All right. Next question. Um, what is one way you are excited to grow in the next year? I think I need to be more courageous and, um, I need to be more courageous. I'm not going to give a lot of context, but, uh, I need to be more courageous in, um, inside of my relationship They'd be more courageous a little bit more vulnerable um, inside of my relationship to uh, to to ensure that like it's great, but like it is it it needs me to to take it up a notch. And I don't mean like getting married, y'all. Like that's not that's not what I mean. I mean I just need to be uh, I need to give more and and be better uh, and be more courageous and be more uh, vulnerable in in being who I am and giving more of that to my partner. We sort of mentioned, um, mentioned in the past of like naming things. And I think there's a couple of things that like, I, I actually just, you know, some of it was because of the cognitive labor thing that I mentioned before, but some of it was um, just some simple tips and tricks of how to manage anxiety and negative self-talk. And those are two things that I, carry with me so frequently some of it is like those are just good jokes like we we made a joke about a dusty old book and like you know I, I like that that has no meaning to me whatsoever it does i don't carry that with with me but some of the other things that um i think the negative self-talk impacts me too frequently and so uh there's actually this trick that and, and it sounds it sounds like i'm uh uh, infant, infantizing. I'm, 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 I'm diminishing my, my age to a certain extent, but it's a trick used with teenagers who suffer from anxiety and things like that is, is giving the feelings or thoughts that you're having inside your head, like an actual name, like, you know, anxiety is, is actually, you know, uh, Anthony or whatever, like, you're like, Oh, that's just Anthony talking. That's, that doesn't actually mean anything. Like, that's just whatever, or, you know, whatever the negative self-talk is. And so some of that is, is like, 
even though I'm, I've been very successful in my life, I think I still undervalue myself considerably because of some of those limitations. So I think naming those things, acknowledging them in the present moment, and then trying to uh, essentially revalue myself in 2022 is, is one of my goals. Not bringing myself down, not limiting myself because I'm feeling nervous and anxious. And some of that is courageous. Like I'm not sending an email because I'm feeling like it's what I have to say isn't good enough, or I'm not sending, setting up a meeting, or I'm not being proactive enough or advocating for people that I care about enough because I'm worried about something else. And so a little bit of that is actually maybe courageousness. So Lamar, another assist to you. For me, it's a, it's the courage of understanding limitations, being vocal about those limitations and enrolling other people to help and support. And the way that this manifests most directly is to one of the points you made earlier, Lamar, around when we were coming into season three, you know, one of the things we were talking about was, you know, how do we really grow an audience? How do we get more people to, to listen to, to be a part of this conversation, right? And we've had ideas about that, right? And I think the three of us have some knowledge of how to make that happen. But ultimately, from an audience perspective, things haven't grown the way that I think any of us would want them to, right? Although we are incredibly appreciative of those people that that go hard for the Men Up podcast that are deeply in this conversation with us. And I think part of that is is on me a little bit, is, is on me and my ego and and thinking like, I know exactly what we have to do to grow this audience and and ultimately not doing it or not having the knowledge, regardless, is that there's a limitation there, right? And so for the season coming up, you know, we, we need help. We need to find some people to, to do that work with us. And I think that that speaks to other areas of my life too. In, in my professional work, you know, there are some spaces of limitation that I just need to bring other people into, but, but having the courage to do that is really important. Huge. So we said that it's a starting five, but actually we have a surprise sixth question, which is very exciting. And since this has become a tradition uh, for the Men Up podcast to do the starting five, there's the sixth question, which is, I think, kind of a cool one, which is for us to reflect back on the answers that we gave to the starting five last year. So the answers that we had reflecting on 2020, looking forward to 2021, and simply what stands out to each one of us, right? As we think about what we had learned from the previous year that we were bringing into 2021 with us, what stands out? And for me, when I was doing this reflection, you know, when we identified the cultural moment that would have a profound impact on us, uh, I'd identified at that time uh, the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. And frankly, I'm surprised that uh, there were the convictions that were for the three men that murdered Ahmaud Arbery that just happened recently back in November, uh, but that those convictions were to the fullest extent or as close to the fullest extent as possible uh, for those men killing Ahmad Arbery. And there, there is both hope in that for me, like the, the fact that that can still happen. A, a jury of one's peers can call out what is wrong. The murder of somebody generally, certainly senselessly in this case, uh, is obviously wrong. And there's also just some heaviness there too, that that kind of situation would still exist in our world in 2020, 2021, 2022. And so there's some surprise there that is both potentially hopeful, but also just really uh, discouraging to even think about that this has been part of our reality since 2020. Yeah, looking back on last year's responses, uh, I think 
you know, it, it just reminds me of when I generally say I'm going to do something, I, I do and, and get it done, no matter how long it takes or how it comes about, but it gets it gets done. So I'm looking back at um, the things that we said, I think the two questions that uh, I answered were, you know, how do I need to be different for next year? I said I need to lean into new, new tech, new methods, new skills, new ways of delivering my service. Um, I've done that. Like I, I went all in on um, all in on virtual um, speaking and, and speeches and developed developed a virtual program that I actually need to kind of like actually film and create. So it's all virtual and I can sell it that way. Um, but also went all in on just like my live uh, speeches to schools and conferences. And, you know, I benefited from that. It turned out excellent. Um, and so, and then the other thing was, I think was the question around like the actual podcast itself. And it said, um, you know, where do we, how do we want to grow the podcast? And I, I put on here, video interviews workshops uh events and growing the brand and we did videos we did interviews we did workshops uh we we you know and i think now what's next is like all right growing the brand um and and really trying to figure out what that looks like next and so just being like hey we set these general broad uh ambitions or targets and we hit a lot of them um, and now it's kind of like, all right, how do we, how do we recreate that and do it again? Shout out to us. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> I think, I think it, it set the intentions in the right, in the right way. And, and I think all those things, you know, stick, stuck with me throughout the year enough that I think, uh, there was, there was growth everywhere. Um, I'll just call out the fact though, that one of my answers to question number five was a meeting in person between all of us, which still has not happened. And that's going to carry over to, to 2022. It's, it's gotta, it's gotta happen. Top of the year. Just check that box. Before we go today, Lamar, you were talking about some of the programming that you've developed now in the, in the last year, and you have some programming coming up. So for anybody who um, is, is looking to have a more intentional 2022. And a, a lot of what Will is saying is, is reminding me of what my events are going to be about. So uh, December 19th um, from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, uh, I'm going to be hosting an event where we are helping people get prepared for a more intentional 2022 uh, by helping them go through their values their impact and their legacy that they want to have and also their goals for next year so that can operate with uh, intention and, and, and focus and not be distracted by all the things that kind of takes away from um, who we want to be um, in our lives. And so that event is going to be December 19th, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern on Zoom. Um, if you're interested, you can register at Linktree slash Lamar Womble. Ladies and gentlemen, that is it for today's episode. That is it for season three. Thank you so much for joining us this season. And we hope that you have left with a level up, at least one, hopefully many. I know that each one of us has from this season. So if you haven't listened to every episode, please go back, listen to all the episodes in season three. And please check us back out early 2022 for season four. But until then, I'm Christian Shabu, and this is the Men Up Podcast. We appreciate y'all. The Men Up Podcast is a Grin and Bear production. 
The soundtrack is courtesy of Mike McGinley Music and visual artwork by Viotti Design Studio. Video clips from each episode are edited by Joe Oliveri. The executive producer and editor on the Men Up podcast is me, Christian Shabu. You can listen to us every week on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts or by visiting themenup.com.